The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Today's story from from John chapter 2 is actually one of my favorite Bible stories with Jesus at the wedding in Cana. And uh, it's, it's just a really kind of neat story. I, I love the humanity that I see in it. Um, I love the fact that he was at a wedding. Some of you are in the middle of planning a wedding and, uh, or you've, you've been to weddings recently. It's not exactly wedding season out there in, in western New York, but um, you know the, the kind of joy and excitement that goes into that process. And it, it's kind of interesting that Jesus chose this moment to kick off his public ministry in in so many ways. I love the fact that this first miracle, John calls it the first sign, happened in this way, that he's keeping the party going, you know, (laughs) that he is saving this bridegroom from the embarrassment of the party having fallen apart too soon. And I I love the interplay with Jesus and his mother, in this passage. Have you ever read this and, and really thought about the fact that this is a guy and his mother? <laughs> Jesus is maybe about my age at this point, and his mother was there at the party with him. And I have been at places with my mother where I think that the same kind of interplay, the same kind of uh, conversational dynamic, if you will, might have happened. It's really kind of amusing to me um, that. Uh, she comes to him and says, they have no wine. And if Jesus does what I would do, so? <laughs> but that's how moms work, you see. They just present the problem to you, and they, they just assume that you're going to fix it, <laughs> whether you're the son of God or not. Uh, <laughs> she just lays it out and expects action. And when he says to her, First of all, he says, woman, that is no concern of mine. Now, I don't know, we believe that Jesus lived a life without sin, but if I said that to my mother, woman, that is no concern of mine, <laughs> I'm not sure that I would ever get to heaven. Um, but the truth is that the, the word woman, you know, is, is a very kind of respectful term in this sense. It's sort of like down south when a, a son might call his mother ma'am. And so you see actually people calling Mary woman in a couple different places in John's gospel. It's not, so it's not just as we, you know, if we said it here, woman, no. Um, but he says to her, what, what concern is that to me? And what is her response? This is so typical mom. Does she argue with him? And does she say, yes, it is? Does she try to convince him to do something? No. She pretends she didn't hear him. <laughs> and she tells the servants... Do whatever he tells you. <laughs> like, it's just so striking to me that in this story, Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ our Lord, is just a mom. <laughs> like, if Jesus was playing Xbox, she would walk in front of him at the exact wrong time because she has the mom genes. 
not the mom jeans from Saturday Night Live, but mom G E N E S jeans. Um, <laughs> I don't think Mary wore jeans, but she has. She is a mom, right? I just I love that about this story. It's like, it's really like something out of a, a family sitcom. It's like George Costanza's mother or something. You know, do whatever he tells you. And I love what happens after this miracle. When they take the wine that seconds ago was just ordinary water to the chief steward, kind of like the wedding planner, if you will. If you're getting married, just don't hire a wedding planner. All they do is annoy the pastor. Just trust me on that one. But they they take the wine to the chief steward, and he says to the bridegroom, what does he say? Everyone serves the good wine first when the people are coherent enough to enjoy it, essentially. And then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. Too drunk to notice, apparently, that you're serving them cheap wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, we could spend a lot of time talking about the, the, the usage of alcohol in this passage and maybe have an interesting discussion about whether or not the Bible condones the alcohol consumption and that sort of thing. Um, I, sometime I'll tell you this story, the personal story that I've had kind of shifting from a more conservative total abstinence from alcohol position with the X's on my hand in high school and stuff to a, uh, a much more moderate position. But that's not really where I want to go with that today. Uh, just I, I want to sort of agree to take these facts at face value that this is wine that apparently made the guests drunk, so it's not just grape juice, which sometimes people would suggest. Um, but that is wine. Uh, so just so you know where I'm coming from, uh, and we, of course... Uh, we want to be cautious about people who struggle with addiction and, and compulsive behavior and that kind of thing. So I don't, I don't mean to make light of that fact, but this, I think, is real wine. Um, but this, you have kept the good wine until now, is really the, the thing that most interests me about this passage. And it occurred to me as I was looking at that and sort of meditating on this one verse, it seems that Jesus is more concerned with how things end than with how they begin. So... He didn't make, first of all, he didn't make junky wine, <laughs> apparently, because the steward tasted it and was like, wow, this, what year was this? Whose vineyard did this come from? But, so he, did, he made this really great product, right? But he didn't do it at the beginning to show everybody how great he was there. He was concerned with how the party would end, apparently. Um, and, and it's whether that was sort of just circumstances or what, but that's what happened. He took care of the problem so that the party would end on a good note. So he's more concerned with how things end than how they begin. And I think that should be reassuring to all of us who may have had some bad beginnings and some bad middles and some bad almost endings. That Jesus is concerned with the actual ending. I'm going to show you something actually here. I brought visual aids tonight. Water and wine. Now, there's nothing wrong with water. If you are thirsty, you really can't beat water. I see the marathoner over there going, yes, water. I drank a lot of this when I ran my marathon uh, three years ago. (laughs) Um, 
What? Yeah, maybe some electrolytes, but so Jesus did not turn into Gatorade. Sorry, Holly. <laughs> um, let alone a power gel. But uh, if you are thirsty and hot, you can't beat a cold glass of water. Um, we don't want to denigrate water. That's not the point today. But let me submit to you that wine is something altogether different. Now, I don't know if any of you are wine aficionados. I certainly am not really, but I, I have grown to sort of appreciate this uh, substance in a way that I wouldn't have really understood before. Water, you know, people who appreciate wine will tell you that it, it, you should look for its color. And it's, so it's kind of a physically beautiful substance. It has a really wonderful aroma. Now, this stuff actually doesn't. This, isn't not, this is not Jesus-made wine. This is uh, Franzia from a box that we use for communion. Um, <clears throat> but let's imagine that this is like Old Vine Zinfandel or something. A lovely aroma. It actually makes your food taste better when you have dinner with wine. If you drink wine, you know that. And it gets better with age. And Psalm 104 actually says that it gladdens the heart. And so it has all these wonderful properties that water just doesn't have. Now, you don't want to drink wine if you've been running a marathon, but um, running a marathon is generally a pretty stupid idea, so... <laughs> but Jesus turned this into this. And if you will permit me to make what might be a little bit of a tacky generalization, I think that Jesus wants to do a similar work in our lives. He wants to take that which is ordinary and basic and maybe immature, and turn it into something that's extraordinary and lovely and beautiful and mature, and that gets better with each passing year. I think that Jesus wants to do that because it is in God's nature to work in his created order. In all the earth, really, but, but especially in us, his people. To make us from something basic and ordinary into something significant and mature. I want to read to you a, a quick passage from C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors. And he wrote a book called Miracles, which is maybe a little bit more philosophically dense than some of his other reading that you might have read. Uh, or some of his other books that you might have read. But um, he has this great observation about this miracle of turning water into wine. Let me see if I can find it. Am I looking at the right? No, I had the wrong page. Here we go. So, the conversion of water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. This miracle proclaims that the God of all wine is present. The vine is one of the blessings sent by Yahweh. He is the reality behind the false god, Bacchus, who's kind of the god of drink, you know, if you don't know your mythology. Every year, as part of the natural order, God makes wine. He does so by creating a vegetable organism that can turn water, soil, and sunlight into a juice which will, under proper conditions, become wine. Thus, in a certain sense, he constantly turns water into wine, for wine, like all drinks, is but water modified. 
once and in one year only, God, now incarnate, short-circuits the process, makes wine in a moment, uses earthenware jars instead of vegetable fibers to hold the water, but uses them to do what he is always doing. The miracle consists in the shortcut, but the event to which it leads is the usual one. Isn't that kind of a neat observation? That God is always turning water into wine as part of the natural order, but that that one time he turned water into wine in an instant for a special reason. And I think that is really kind of instructive about what God wants to do in us. Now, some of you um, can speak to this in a way that maybe is more, um, more fitting than others because all of us have sort of had different conversion experiences, those of us who are Christians. But for many of us, the experience of, of committing to Jesus to follow him and to become a Christian was an instantaneous thing. It was one second I was not a Christian, and then I was, because something significant happened in me. Water, wine. Now, some of you may have had kind of a more processed type of conversion. That's fairly common among people of my age, and um, that's, there's nothing wrong with that sort of thing. In fact, I think for, even for people who did have this instantaneous Cana in Galilee kind of conversion experience, that... For all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to sort of revert back to that natural order whereby God turns our water into wine year after year after year just in the process of following Jesus. And so once there was that special moment, but every year God wants to work this miracle not only in the vineyards, but in our hearts. And just like with winemaking, there will be bad years where the rain falls at the wrong time and the grapes are a little bit sour and the wine doesn't come out quite as good. And there will be years when the conditions are perfect and seems like everything is going well and the wine is as good as you've ever tasted. But most years lie somewhere in between. But it's no less beautiful. It's no less miraculous, the work that Jesus does in us, year after year, day in and day out, just as following the course of uh, the natural order of, of things when you're a follower of him. The, uh, the Old Testament passage that we heard earlier today, the one that Schiff uh, read from Isaiah, I think speaks to this kind of reality, but in a different way. It just uses sort of different terminology. I want to go back and look at one of the verses from Isaiah chapter 62. It's verse 4. Um, and here's, here's what the prophet Isaiah says. <clears throat> you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And then he elaborates a little bit, and then he says, You shall no more be termed forsaken. Now, in, the, in my text, this is, they, they sort of interpolate and put a capital F on forsaken because the idea is that this is a, a proper name that, that people have taken on themselves. You shall no longer be, be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called, My delight is in her. 
And then it goes on to have that kind of interesting marriage metaphor, but um, I left that part off because uh, I want to focus in on the naming idea. I don't know uh, if you feel like your name would be forsaken or desolate. But if, if I know humanity at all, I know that if I gave you a couple minutes to think about it, you would be able to come up with a name. <laughs> Capital A, Arrogant, maybe. <laughs> or Capital D, Defeated. <laughs> And in fact, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give you a couple minutes, and I want you to just sort of silently meditate on this idea. And I want to ask you, what is the name that you have that, that would kind of define you and, and all, the negativity, all the negativity that you might experience or, or be experiencing right now or experienced before that you're still struggling with? Let me give you just a couple of minutes to think on that question. You may want to write that word down if you have some paper with you or tap it into your notepad on your phone or whatever. Um, and I want you to have that, that name in your mind, in your heart. And then I want to remind you what I said earlier, that Jesus is concerned with how things end, not with how they begin. That's the work that he wants to be working on, how things are going to end. And this passage in Isaiah says that you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. So let me switch you to a more optimistic frame of mind. And I'm going to give you a couple more minutes of silent meditation. And I want you to think about what that new name might be. If God were to speak a new name over your life with that old one in mind, what would the new one be? So if you did write down that first name, what I'd like you to do now is cross it out and write that new name over it. And if you didn't write it down, you can kind of close your eyes and visualize that word 
and draw a line right through the middle of it because God wants to give you a new name. Let's pray. God, thank you for this wonderful miracle. Uh, And we read it, and we experience it, and we believe it, that Jesus turned this water into wine. And more importantly for us, we believe that he wants to turn the ordinary water of our lives into the lovely and significant and mature wine that you've called us to be. And so I pray for these names. I pray that the one who's named arrogant would be named humble. And the one who is named shameful would be named proud. And the one who is named broken would be named whole. And that for all these names, you would call us into a new life. That we would hear you calling us by that new name that you want to give to us. And that we could forget that old one that we made for ourselves. By the miracle of faith in your son Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, maybe more fitting tonight than, than usual that our every week our response to the hearing of God's word is to come to his table. Uh, and on our communion table we have bread and we have wine. We also have a non-alcoholic juice if that's more appropriate for you. Uh, and so I want to invite all of you to come to this table as we sing a couple more songs. And um, and I really want, this, want you to feel like this table is open to you. If you would like that miracle to happen in your life, whether it's that instantaneous time or whether it's just kind of system maintenance sort of stuff, the water being made into wine for the 50th year in a row, if you want that miracle to be real in your life and if you'd like to, to hear God calling that new name uh, of you, then this table is, is open to you. And it certainly does not require you to feel like you are an expert at anything, uh, that you have made it all right on your own, because let me let you know a little bit of a secret, that's really not the point. <laughs> the whole point of, of following him is that you can't quite get it done on your own. And so uh, certainly I wouldn't want you to, to refrain from coming to the table because you thought you weren't worthy, because you're not, and that's the whole point. <laughs> um, but maybe as you come this time, you can have those two names in your head, and, and as you break off a piece of the bread, remember Christ's broken body and, and maybe say that old name. And then as you dip it into the wine or the juice, remember his shed blood and say that new name and hear it for yourself and hear God calling you by it. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up and uh, our table is open now and will be open for the remainder of our time together tonight. So I'd like you to come as you're called.
This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.